Welcome to the Kaizen Guard podcast. This is your host, MC. The Kaizen Guard is a podcast about continuous improvement, building the habits to make the most out of what you already have and scale your progress in a sustainable way. Some people say, don't work harder, work smarter. Well, I believe that we can do both if we balance our time, energy, and drive well. On to today's episode. There we go. We are at the last episode of the series Rags to Riches, which is also the last episode of season one of the Kaizen Gap podcast. We are going to go on a tiny, tiny summer break working on other projects. The series is only five episodes long, so we're making progress from a series of eight episodes to five. So today's episode is about me buying a house. So from the fourth episode that I covered, I explained the things that I did over the last five to six years that led me to be able to buy a house from paying myself first, spending smarter and then traveling smarter. I was able to create a life where I can do big things. I can enjoy it, but I can still put money towards my goals. And in context, I didn't plan on buying a house when I did, which was in 2021. In early 2019, actually end of 2018, I started to think about taking a sabbatical year and my goal was to come back in 2020 and then buy a car and a few months after buy a house because I had heard that you shouldn't be getting like a debt at the same time as you're trying to buy a house. So I wanted to buy the car first and then get the car for a few months and then after I would have gotten the car, I would have bought the house. And so I can explain a little bit throughout the previous episode how I did that. So actually using my budget, I had one for years, been using main for more than, I think last time I checked, it was like 4,000 days that I've been using mint, which is more than 10 years. So that's one thing that, that I was doing, but I wasn't really paying attention to it until I leveled up. I created a comparative spreadsheet to analyze how my spending had changed over the last five years. So I created that spreadsheet in 2019. I looked for areas to make cuts and I was taking thorough notes of all of my incomes because I had a full-time job, but I was also doing contracts. And so I was also making sure that my expenditure ratio was within the norm, meaning the expenditure ratio is the proportion of my net income that is available for me to spend on living costs and things like that. And when it was time, I created that massive spreadsheet and it has several elements into it. So the first thing was for me to understand what was the maximum amount of money that I could spare each month to buy a car. So I did not start from the car that I wanted or a car that I would want. I started from the money that I had to be able to afford the car. And I think that's how we should be thinking. We should not be necessarily, you can do both. You can look at the car and then see if the car fits into your budget, but you might be more inclined to make sacrifices for a car without actually evaluating the impact that these sacrifices are going to have. So I was looking at the maximum amount of money that I could spare each month to buy a car, considering all of my other expenses and my saving goals. Another question that I asked myself was, can I rely on an investment vehicle to push my money further? So to have my money working more for me, meaning that I wondered what the achievable return could be 
and what are the investment vehicles that I should be searching for. Then it was a matter of the timeline. What was the timeline of me buying a car? Did I want to buy a car in the next one year, two years, or three years, you name it? And then how much money do I want to put down for the car or do I want to completely finance the car? So all of these questions outline my saving frameworks for buying a car. And combining all of these, I calculated the maximum budget that I had for the car. Knowing that at the end of the day, I chose to go for a car that was part of federal program and a provincial program as well that actually supported people buying hybrid or electric vehicles. I chose to put the minimum amount of money down because I had already some funding coming from that program. And I had a few investment vehicles, which are the ones that I mentioned in my previous videos. So from that, I was able to understand what would be the impact of me putting as little of a down payment on the car as possible. And what would be the impact over the seven years that I would be financing the car for? That was one thing. Then I did the same thing for the house. I looked at my current situation. So what was the cost of my current housing against my budget? Then I compared it to my neighborhood, which means that I compared the cost of my housing situation with that of the average of my neighborhood. And so I compared these two because on one part, you want to know if your housing is taking too much of a big chunk out of your budget, too much of a big chunk out of your income. And you also want to compare how your current living situation compares to the other ones in a similar neighborhood. Then I wanted to also know what was my standing against the typical benchmarks or recommendation of specific personal finances, like the price to rent ratio. The price to rent ratio, it's basically the percentage that your rent represents out of the price of the property that you want to buy. Because there are specific recommendations. For instance, sometimes they say, your house shouldn't be more than 15 times or 19 times the price of your yearly rent, for instance. So you want to make sure that you are not going above these different recommendation ratios. For the price to rent, in my case, my rent was so low. It was low compared to my neighbors. It was low compared to my neighborhood. It was just really low because I had gotten into this that I, apartment way before the prices actually increased a lot. And so regardless of what I was looking at, I knew that I will not be able to fit within the benchmark, the recommendations giving, meaning the 15 to 19 times your annual rent. My house is actually 40 times higher than my previous rent because my rent was just ridiculously low. Like I had neighbors who were paying twice my rent. I was still looking at it. Like I, I understood why my price to rent ratio was going to be high. And that was the, the key for me. The second thing is the housing expenditure ratio. And I mentioned that before. So this is the money that you have, the chunk that your housing expenses represent in your household income. And so for me to do that, I actually looked at three different types of household incomes. I look at my income, what is my income without living cost? And then I look at it with living cost, but without a rent. 
And then I look at the income with living cost and the rent. So I had three different benchmarks from my own situation, again, because I'm doing the most, and also giving me an understanding of what my average monthly budget was. And so from that, my current, my housing expenditure ratio at the time when I bought the house was 16%. The recommendation is 28%, 28 to 36%. So again, I was really low and it was mainly because my rent was ridiculously low. And so from that, I was able to calculate what would be the impact of making a 5% down payment or making a 20% down payment. Full disclosure, I went for by 5% because in my situation, the way that it impacted my monthly payments of the mortgage and the way that it impacted my short-term and long-term goals actually made me yield, made me more inclined to go for a 5% down payment. Also in Quebec, where I live and in Canada, we have programs that actually help first-time buyers to get a house. And so I already knew that in terms of my down payment, I wouldn't have to pull up to put so much money up front because part of it was subsidized by the government scheme for first-time buyers and owners of a house. So that was one thing. And then I was looking at that, I calculated what would be the price of the house that I could afford with my current lifestyle without making any sacrifices or altering my savings objectives. And so this kind of worked out well for me. It was different. Basically, on one side, without making any sacrifices, I wouldn't be able to afford the house, basically, because without making any sacrifices to my lifestyle or budget, I wouldn't be able to afford the house that I have. But at the same time, I knew that I would be able to get a higher loan from the bank. And so what I did was... I found the range that I could afford for my house by doing two things. The first one was I went from the cost of the house. So what would be the cost of the house that I would be able to pay if I was looking only at the ratio? So all of these ratios somehow, they can help you to find the price based on the recommendation for the ratio, based on your rent, based on your housing expenditure ratio, you can actually find out what would be the recommended price of the cost of the house for your situation with this ratio. So that's what I found. I had the lower end of my bracket for the house. And now how to find the higher end of the bracket for the house was actually going then adding on my savings, adding 5% or 10% down payment adding things like what would be interest rate that I would pay. And then from that, I was able to calculate what would be the maximum amount of money that I could afford to buy the house at. And then I had a period for the house. I wanted to buy the house under three years. Again, that was in 2019. For the car, I wanted to buy the car in two years. So I wanted to buy a car in 2021 and I wanted to buy a house in 2022. I did not go according to plan. And I bought the house, I bought the car in April and I signed on the house in May of the same year. Because again, I had done my research. I had a great real estate broker as well. But the goal for me was when I had my first conversation with my broker, he was actually pleasantly surprised because I knew what I could afford. 
Again, I think it's very key to look at it two ways. Don't just look at houses and think, oh, this is what I'm going to pay. Look at it and look at the price of the house that you want and see how it would impact your situation today if you were to pay for that. And then take your own situation and project it onto the price of the house to know what would be the price that you would be able to afford so that you understand that bracket of the house price that you should be looking at is going to give you a sense of the level of effort or sacrifice that you have to make to kind of navigate that spectrum. Do you want to be closer to the lower end, which is based on your current situation? Or do you want to be close to the higher end, which is based on the market situation? And uh, these are very key. I do have the Excel sheet that I use, which is called house purchase. It's a massive Excel sheet. I have a lot of things going on there. But I find for me it was useful. A few elements that I have on that Excel sheet are basically on one end, I had a screenshot of my actual financial situation. So coming from with a link to to other spreadsheets, I knew what was my total income, what was the total expenses, what was the total savings that I had as well, and what was my net revenue in and out. And then I had my financial goals or my financial milestone to be able to buy the house based on assumption and based on what I was seeing on the market. I look at what would be the price point for the house, what would be the turnkey taxes or turnkey fees, like the overhead that I had to plan in order for me to move in, like doing the survey, the fixes in, around the house, the notary, the lawyer, and things like that. What would be the cost of the car insurance as well? And what would be the cost of the car? All of those things for me are very key because it gives me a price point. And then from that price point, I understand what would be the down payment that I should be able to save for. So that was one thing. And then on the third section on that spreadsheet is basically everything that has to do with the government scheme for first-time buyers. It's looking at what is the percentage of the house price that they are willing to cover for you. What are the conditions? And then also on one side, we have another scheme that allows you to take money from your retirement, your registered retirement saving plan in order to finance the house, which I did as well. So I had this section with all of these numbers and percentage of the ratio and interest rates. Then I had a section about renting or buying. So this is where I had my price to rent ratio as well as the recommendations. Third section was about the housing expenditure ratio. So that's the section where I was looking at my budget, my budget with living costs, without the living costs, with the living costs, but no rent. And I was looking at how it was impacting my monthly expenses and what that represented if I was to go from the current 16% that I had to the recommended 28%. They actually say it's between 28% to 36% of your income should go towards your housing. But I didn't want to take just the housing. That's why I was adding to the housing the living cost because my living cost for me, like I want to make sure that I'm balancing everything out so that I have enough money to pay my bills and to pay what's essential for my quality of life. That was one thing. The fifth section or fourth section on that spreadsheet was about the down payment. So depending, again, I did say I was looking at doing a 5% down payment or 20%. But I also did calculation to do a 6.5 down payment and a 10% down payment. 
what would be the impact on the amount of the mortgage that I would get, the yearly interest rate, the number of years, the number of installments, and what would be the potential value of this installment to do, and so on. This gave me a sense of what would be the maximum monthly payment I could do on my mortgage as well. Then the last section on that spreadsheet was all about buying the house itself in the sense of looking at the price of the house. So that was the main thing in that section. And then subtracting from it everything that I was going to use to pay for it. So I subtracted them from the price of the house, what I was going to take from my RRSP, so the Registered Retirement Saving Account, what I was going to take from my tax-free saving account as well. I had uh, all of my investment, like how much I was going to take, how much cash I would actually have to put towards that, and then understanding what would be missing, like what would be the money that I don't have basically, because this really helped me to give the final price to the sellers when it was time to do some bidding on the house. Like I had done the calculation with, this was my original offer. This was the increased weight compared to the original offer that I was willing to go to. And then doing all of that, those calculations, I knew what was the maximum amount of money that I was going to pay for the house. I knew exactly where the money would come from. I knew exactly how much would be the down payment, where I would take the money, what was missing, as well as I took into account having money for, again, the overhead of moving into the house. So the taxes, the welcome tax that we have and so on. All of those things really helped me. But what I want you to remember across all of the things that I just shared are three things. You want to know whether it's buying a house or buying a car. You want to know where you stand regarding the typical personal finances ratios. You want to know. Do not lie to yourself and think that you have everything under control because you know where your money goes, where it comes, and so on. Look at these ratios. And once you have your own personal ratios, look at the recommendations. What are the typical recommendation in terms of ratio that someone should have and try and understand why if you're not part of that bracket like the lower or higher end look at your personal situation to understand why and then from that calculate what you can afford not what you should not what you could potentially no 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 what is it that today at the time that I am talking to you now that you're listening to this now what is it that you can afford because we're seeing now, we are in July 2022, inflation is crazy. Banks are raising interest rates. People are not able to pay for their housing because they've overpaid based on, let's say, the optimistic vision that they had of the future. So make sure that you look at where you can afford to, what is it that you can afford to pay? And then the third thing is you want to reverse engineer the cost of the house to the required or the necessary budget to handle that cost and from your current budget to a potential cost of the house. So three things where you stand financially speaking regarding against all of the personal finances ratios. What is it that you can afford as of today and then reverse engineer the cost of the house the cost of the house that you want to uh, the budget necessary and the budget you have today to the cost of the house that would go with it within the framework or within 
the recommendation and benchmark for all of the different ratios. I hope that this was useful. It's not easy to explain that. So I have the Excel file in front of me. I can really walk you through it. Like I've shared that Excel file with lots of my friends and I've actually taken like a 30 minutes to explain to them what the spreadsheet means and also how they could use it to just get a better understanding of where or how their financial situation and their habits can help them towards buying a house. That was it for me today. It's truly been a journey because I never would have thought when I was brought to court in 2015 to get expelled of my apartment because I hadn't paid my rent in a month because I was broke, because I wasn't making enough money and so on. I would have never imagined that seven years from that time, almost to the day, I would be recording an episode about how I bought the house in my house by myself. For me, it is truly the grace of God. And honestly, like I even bought it in six years when you think about it. It was in June 2021. Again, it's all about having discernment, being honest with yourself. Do not lie. The worst thing you can do in anything in life is lying to yourself. Lying to yourself because you want to convince yourself that you can do something that you cannot do. You have to be true to yourself in order to understand how to get yourself closer to the vision that you have for your life and for yourself. Uh, It's very hard because the world and people and family and friends and well-meaning and ill-meaning people will tell you what you should be doing and thinking, but at the end of the day, you sleep with yourself. So it's very key. At least for me, I find it very important to be true to myself because it allows me to be prepared and to prepare myself because I know what are my weaknesses and I know what are my strengths. And so I'm trying to know to not be caught off guard by the expression of my weaknesses, I would say from time to time. So yeah, everything really having, opening my eyes to the money that I had in my pocket instead of complaining about the money that I didn't have, opening my eyes about how the system works, banking, how mortgages work, how buying a house works getting information about the different programs, schemes that the the government has put in place to help millennials to afford a house, afford a home in a market that is just super crazy right now across the country in Canada. So I hope that it was useful. I know this last episode, again, I wish I would have been able to show my Excel sheet, but if you want it, let me know. I can definitely have a conversation and explain to you how it works before I share that with you. Because again, it can be overwhelming. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven section on one spreadsheet can be overwhelming. And there are different, there are relationships and formulas between some of the sections as well. So if you want to use it as a guide, again, it's not a perfect solution. It's not a recipe. It's really a guide to show you where you stand, to show you where your desire for a house can take you, to show you where your current budget can take you as well. But yeah, it was my pleasure to have that last episode, uh, not only of the series, but also of the season. Yeah, I think I'm going to just do one tiny episode just to close out the season. Should I? Should I? No, I don't think I'm going to do it. It's fine. (laughs) But I was very happy 
starting that podcast was really something that I had thought of for a long time, but I kind of wanted my friends to join. I didn't want to be alone doing it. And then I just decided after my birthday to do it and then see what I was going to learn. Because if there's one thing across all of these episodes that I would conclude with is that no one expects you and no one expects me to have all the answers. We are just trying to figure things out. And yeah, very happy. And I will see you. Have a good summer. Bye. That's it for me today. I hope you found that episode helpful and insightful. If you have questions or topics you'd like me to address, email me at the email address in the description box. And last but not least, leave your five-star review anywhere you are listening. It really encourages me. I wish you, wherever you are, to be well. And I will talk to you next time.